0: Hey, Brown Brown Beauties. beauties. Welcome to Well, Honestly,
1: the podcast. I'm Andretta. And I'm Akila, And we're your hosts. Well, honestly, what is this podcast all about?
0: Our show is about women doing better tomorrow than they are doing today. So we can take control of our health. We give you real talk and educate you on all things related to health, mental wellness, and nutrition for Brown women all over the world.
1: Once you know what choices you have, you can do better because we know the struggle is real. We invite you to come as you are, but leave inspired to become your best healthy self. So let's get started. Hi there, Akila. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. How was your week? Oh,
0: actually, I am enjoying the quiet. I had a pretty quiet week
1: this week. How yeah. about you? Um, It's been a little hectic, a little bit for me. I have uh, so many moving parts going on behind the scenes with my life in general, so I'm just, uh, I'm pushing through, I can't complain about it, just, you know, rolling with the punches, not too bad. Okay, well, let's talk about
0: what we love this week. Let's Uh, do it.
1: Yeah, okay.
0: So, what I love this week is actually Dr. Hampton's book. He has a book out called Fix Your Life, Fix Your Diabetes, because um, diabetes is one of those things that's running rampant in our community, Mm -hmm. so I do recommend everyone pick up this book, they can get it on Amazon. Okay.
1: Okay, we'll have the link for that um in the show notes for this week. Okay, so that's what we love. Well, what I'm loving right now, on top of that, it's very simple. It's smoothies. Uh, I've been on a smoothie kick lately. I have a smoothie every single day. I kind of go back and forth uh, with smoothies because sometimes I get a little too overzealous with it, and I'll start adding way too many things, and it tastes like way too many things, and it's just not good. So, I've gotten some recipes that I wanted to um, kind of curate and stick with and tweak, and I've been doing that consistently for the past couple of days, and I'm really loving smoothies. So, you're going to share those recipes with us at some point? Yeah, let me uh, let me kind of figure it out as far as what I want to do the finishing touches to, and then I'll, I'll share it with, the, with well, the ladies. We'll look forward to it. Are you tired of being tired?
0: Are you aching, have pain in unexplained places? At the root of all diseases like diabetes and high blood pressure and many more is chronic inflammation. There are 10 wild crafted organic hand picked herbs in the Be Well anti inflammation tea that will help calm those flames. Go to brownwomenwellness.com and get 15% off by putting in the code WellHonest15. So, our healthy tip of the week. Let's talk about that. Since we are going to be interviewing a uh, a doctor that is studying functional medicine. I thought we'd give a tip to help our audience find functional medicine doctors wherever they live. So I found the organization called ifm.org. And of course, we'll put this in our show notes for you to find, but you can go on their website and anywhere that you live, find a functional medicine doctor in your area. Again, that's ifm.
1: Dot org. That's our healthy tip of the week. Do you want to bulletproof your immune system to fight viruses during cold and flu season? A cup of Be Well immunity can keep the doctor away and keep that immune system at optimal levels. There are eight wild organic hand picked herbs that will do just that. Go to brownwomenwellness.com and get 15% off your next purchase using code honest 15
0: We're going to interview our first guest. And I'm going to tell you, I'm excited to interview uh, Dr. Tony Hampton. And I'm going to tell you why I chose him. I wanted him to be the first guest. I was listening to a podcast called Low Carb, the Low Carb uh, Podcast. And I had been following that podcast uh, for about a year, listening to all the doctors talk about low-carb eating, and then, lo and behold, here comes one that sounded and looked like me, and it was Dr. Tony Hampton, and what made me really excited is when I found out that he was in Chicago, in the same place that I was, so we were located in the same city, but I never heard of him, and uh, then I started digging a little bit more and found out that he graduated from an HBCU like I did, so then I got even more excited. So let me tell you a little bit about what I know about him, and then I'm going to let him tell you in his own words. Uh, Dr. Tony Hampton is a board-certified physician where he is a regional medical director at one of the largest healthcare systems in America, and he specializes in obesity. He has a book out called Fix Your Life, Fix Your Diabetes, and his own podcast is called Protect Your Nest. So we want you guys to uh, look for him too as well. So I chose him and I'm here and we're going to listen to his philosophies on health because we share some common beliefs. Welcome, Dr. Tony
1: Hampton. How are you?
2: I am having a phenomenal day. The sun's shining. Uh, We have a new president and uh, I've seen patients. I'm going to enjoy this podcast and study a little bit before I actually go to the Urban League Gala, which will be tonight. It'll be virtual and what's cool about it is that they'll be sending dinner to my home. So I'll have <laughs> dinner at home and enjoy the gala and we'll raise money. They do a lot of great work in the community around job training and things like that. So it's really a great organization to support. So excited. Nice, yeah.
0: nice, nice. Okay, so let's start. Uh, let's get started. Why don't you tell us uh, a little bit about yourself, Um uh... Tell us what what you know. Tell us what made you uh, become a physician, and how do you got how do you got to where you are today?
2: Absolutely, it's interesting. A physician almost was a default thing. I went to uh, Lane Tech High School in Chicago, and that high school is more of a technical high school. So I thought I wanted to be a architectural person, and you know, but then I found that sitting in front of a drafting board. And, you know, designing things without having interaction with people was not really suiting my personality. So I had to shift. And my mom tells the story of when I was a kid and I fell, cut my hand, ended up at Cook County uh, Hospital in Chicago. And I was so amazed when the uh, doctor was able to stitch my hand up and I didn't feel pain. And And she said, I don't remember this, but she said when I was a kid, I said, I want to be able to help people. Uh, get better without causing pain. So I think that kind of came back to me when I had to rethink my career choice. So after leaving Lane Tech, as you've suggested, I went to Xavier University in Louisiana, great historically black school. And for those who don't know, it's probably the largest factory for African-American pharmacists and physicians. And uh, so they did a really good job of making me feel welcome, loved, etc. After I did that, I went to um my medical school, Chicago Medical School in North Chicago. And after that, I trained in family practice at West Suburban Hospital in Oak Park. And uh, I did a lot of obstetrics and child-related care because I did a maternal child health fellowship. I actually did C-sections, tubals, and all of that good stuff as a family doctor, trained to go into a real community, did not end up going in a community of uh, that was rural and ended up staying uh, in the city, did that for probably about 14 years or so. Then I decided to shift away from obstetrics joint advocate of rural healthcare, which is in in Illinois and Wisconsin now. And then I became more of an adult medicine. And then as an adult medicine doctor, I noticed everybody had obesity, diabetes, and those chronic conditions. And then once a family member developed diabetes, I was really trying to help her. And then by helping her, I decided, let's look at some alternatives to medicine because I noticed that we were not really making our patients healthier. And then that shifted me towards nutrition. And most of the research from my first book was really my attempt to figure it out on my own. And you learn from different people like Dr. Jason Fung about fasting and others in the uh, space of nutrition. And then I found that most of my research moved me more towards a low carb or carb restricted approach versus the vegetarian approach, which is what I had prior to doing my research. And and so the goal for me was to shift from this disease management model to a model where I actually help people heal and reverse disease. And it's almost impossible to do that with like medicine. You have to kind of look at the lifestyle. And I think of the lifestyle components, the nutrition ended up being the one that moved the needle the most. And shockingly, people actually will do it if you give them the right advice. So that's kind of how I got to this uh, lifestyle medicine. And I, I'm, I'm really a traditional doc that just incorporates the natural approach, but I'm really uh, getting additional training to tighten that up a little bit so that as I move forward, I will have an approach for every single medical condition that my patients face, giving them an opportunity not to be on medicine. And that's kind of like my ultimate goal.
0: Well, that brings me to another question. Uh, I understand also that you were in school for functional medicine, and I would like for you to explain to our audience the difference between functional medicine doctors and traditional doctors. Did you finish absolutely. school or are you still in school?
2: I'm I'm absolutely still in school. And it's really an approach that speaks to what I just said. So we, the way we learn in Western medicine is that we we focus on diagnosing the medical condition and then find an intervention to treat it. So you diagnose, you treat with medicine, you treat with surgery or procedures, or, you know, maybe you refer to somebody who has more expertise. When you deal with functional medicine, you're always asking a why question. So you're saying, well, why do you have reflux disease? Or why do you have uh, you know, chest pain that's from, you know, your heart disease. And then what you try to do is you, you got to dig deep to find that uh, answer. Now, the good thing about that approach is that it allows for you to potentially not just treat the condition, but reverse it. So the things that were really interesting about this model is that you you have to almost like interview the patient and you can't always do it in one visit. And you you, you look at what they call antecedents. Those are like You know, what are the predisposing factors that uh, led to you uh, actually getting ill? And it could be literally uh, how your mom, uh, you know, delivered you. You know, uh, if you deliver somebody vaginally, they get exposed to mom's bacteria, which sounds kind of gross, but it then puts that bacteria or microbiome in the baby's gut. And therefore, the baby is now starting to be prepared to have a strong immune system, So that's an example. And then it may be, maybe if the mom's overweight, then that type of mom is more likely to have babies that have other inflammatory conditions, even though the baby didn't have to be overweight. Then you look, and then, and then we start asking questions about triggering factors and, and other, uh, what we call mediators or contributors to why they're ill. So you have to dig a little deep and then you, you go more deeply into their uh, their their uh, lifestyle. So you ask them about their sleep, and you ask them about their exercise and nutrition and stress, and even their relationships. Because guess what? If you have a bad relationship, you're probably going to have a high blood pressure. You're going to have an elevated blood sugar. And then the other component is trying to look at how their body functions. So I think about you know, are they? Uh, is their circulatory system working well? Because you have to transport nutrients throughout the body. Is there You know, gut integrity. I never knew about a leaky gut until I studied functional medicine. I I literally hadn't even heard the term, Mm -hmm. but yet, if you have a leaky gut, you will then absorb larger proteins that your body shouldn't absorb, which will then uh, make your body want to attack it. But guess what? We are made of protein, too. So sometimes when you attract the proteins you shouldn't absorb, then you you know, end up with an autoimmune disease. So, so understanding leaky gut's important. So there's different aspects that we look at from the what's the root cause perspective. And then from there, we can then solve problems for people in a way that I hadn't thought about. And uh, the last example is uh, something like serotonin, for example. Most people don't know that about 70% of that uh, emotion hormone is made in your gut. So if I have an unhealthy gut, then I'm likely to be depressed. Mm, and that's wow. just a crazy yep. concept, mm-hmm. but it's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some of it's made in the brain too. But so so when I started learning this, I was like, did I go to medical school or didn't I? And <laughs> I realized I did. But, and the good news is you have to integrate both. I'm not one of those guys that'll become a functional medicine doctor and forget about the traditional medicine. Uh, you need surgery and you need mm-hmm. certain interventions. But mm-hmm. But what I'm finding is if you can d- dig a little deeper
0: Mm-hmm.
2: you will absolutely move the needle. And more importantly, patients really don't want to be on medicines if they can avoid it. So if you yeah. can give them a path and encouragement and some coaching, what happens is people who you may think won't do it will do it. Because really, they want nobody wants to be a failure. Nobody doesn't want to heal. They, mm-hmm. they just need to be told how to do it.
0: Right. You're going to be in a very unique position uh, uh, as a physician because you're going to be able to go from both perspectives, you know, as being a traditional doctor as well as a functional medicine doctor. I can't wait because there's very few of you guys in the world. Uh, And I follow, um, I also follow Dr. Jason Fung as well, which is, you know, when I started digging, you know, I got interested in this myself, you know, same way you did. I was digging, and digging and digging cuz i said it had to be a better way to approach illness so i i, I just i'm so excited about the path that you're taking so yeah uh, but it'll
2: be partnerships With, you know, the experts like Dr. Fung, but also be partnerships with my nutrition person and the person who will become my coach for my patients. And that way we kind of work together, kind of get a little aligned about how we're going to approach things and then and then let them do their thing. So I'm looking forward to it as well.
1: That's awesome. You know, I wanted to ask you, uh, you know, the elephant in the room is that we're in the middle of a pandemic. Um, And so as a doctor, how has this pandemic affected you?
2: Uh, in a good way, it led to podcasts and <laughs> making videos <laughs> regularly because when things slowed down, I actually uh, I literally was, uh, in the clinic, it was quiet. So I started watching the YouTube videos on how to make a podcast. And <laughs> I think people like Dr. Uh, Ken Berry, uh, and mm. for those who don't know him, I you love should Dr. know him Ken because Berry. he's all over the place on YouTube. <laughs> right. Yes. Um, I, he was, I talked to him personally. He said, doc, you can either help 20 people in your office or 20,000. So he encouraged me to just start making uh, more videos, which is what I'm working on now. Mm-hmm. And and so the pandemic for me, allowed me to personally benefit and have more time to think. And then now that I'm in a little bit of a rhythm, now that we're getting busier, that part's okay. Now, in terms of my patients, they struggle because the a lot of my patients are seniors and they have a lot of issues with that social isolation. And we've done things like having COPD classes that are virtual for chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. We're going to have a diabetes prevention program, which we start another cohort in the next couple of weeks, and that'll be virtual. So we have ways to connect with people, but for people, it's put them in a position where they struggle. So a lot of my patients who are doing really well have gained weight and or uh, have stopped losing weight. And so, but the good news is I even frame that from a positive angle. I say, you know, the average weight gain has probably been 15 pounds during the pandemic mm-hmm. and you've not gained a pound or you've only gained five pounds. So, so we have to coach people, uh, help them see the world through a different lens. And and because of the uh, virtual visits, I, I work literally on Tuesdays and Thursdays at home. I literally am washing clothes and talking to patients. Uh, I love it. it's, I love it. Uh, first of all, please don't. Let us stop doing that. I think I'm always <laughs> no. gonna it's like, you know, it's, it's just a beautiful way. thing. Right. Yeah. And and what happens is there's more work life balance so mm-hmm. that I, I I don't feel the stress of having people, you know, poking on me every time I walk outside the room. I can actually kind of pace myself and and the patients are more flexible about the timing because some of my older patients struggle with virtual technology. But but you'd be surprised a lot of people. A lot of those 70 year olds and 80 year olds, sometimes with support, we're doing virtual visits. With probably on that day, I'll probably get about 75% doing a video visit, and then maybe, you know, 10 to 20% doing a telephone call. So it works out really yeah. well. So it's so it's changed everything. And I think this virtual thing will, I'll never go back to not having at least one day a week to do virtual visits. So as long as, you know, they got to pay for it, but it looks like the government will pay for those types of visits. Yeah. That's
0: fantastic because uh, actually you're probably giving them more time virtually than you would do if you were doing a regular visit. Am mm-hmm. I not correct about yeah. that? Well, yeah.
2: And people get real relaxed and, and then you can see their environment. Yeah. You, can, you can see and, and get a feel for it. And, and sometimes that adds tremendous value. Another thing I learned by uh, talking to Dr. Joan Iflin, who wrote the Processed Food Addiction textbook, uh, is that when you help people when they're in their environment, they tend to do better because that's where their triggers are. Mm-hmm. So if you can kind of coach them in that environment, mm-hmm. it actually helps. I've been kind of leveraging that a little bit as well. So it's been, again, it's, it's crazy times and I think people should be super cautious. But for me, I have found it to be uh, helpful for me personally, and then I'm trying to just shift towards a different model for my patients.
0: That's I fantastic. That. I do too, because it's like finding a silver lining. That's mm-hmm. what you did, and you—you you, you, what I like about you too is you approach everything from a positive standpoint. Yeah, you know, yes. you're, you're not looking at. You know, you're not one of those woe is me people, you know, and that just makes life so much better for people. And that's why I'm glad. This is one of the reasons I wanted you to be my first guest, because I wanted to, people to hear uh, the good side of everything, you know, because that's important. That's, right. that's it's important. all about perspective. It's all about perspective. Absolutely. So we also, we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, we heard, uh, you know, in our community, we were affected quite Uh, more radical than anyone else and you know and and, and then I you know there's so many reasons for that and I'm sure you have your perspective on that and I would love to hear it just tell me why you think uh, the black community was affected so radically as opposed to everyone else
2: yeah I think um, our uh, life traumas Mm -hmm. um, are the things that have I always use my nest and rope as a, a model to think this through. And, and of course, that's an acronym. And so for those who hadn't heard it, I think about the nutrition part. And sometimes our culture is a barrier to change our nutrition habits. So if if certain types of foods are part of my culture, mm-hmm. then I need to be willing to not feel like I'm losing my culture when I change that. So one of the things I always you know, if I talk about you know the mac and cheese cauliflower versus the pasta version if I can keep that mac and cheese on the plate and just do it different then I can then I can push that needle and then when it comes to exercise uh, communities of color may not have the type of safety uh, in their streets to mm-hmm. jog or they don't have a gym to go to in their neighborhood so those are areas that will harm them just because they, are in a lower socioeconomic situation, we we could only imagine that the stress level is higher. So that's the S in the nest. And that stress is uh, particularly higher in communities of color, rather it's financial stress or stress related to being a single mom. And about 78% of those families are single moms uh, raising our kids or grandparents raising them. So it's stressful. And what grandparent really knows what to say to a 14 or 15 year old when they're being a 14 and 50 year old. So it's kind of tough. Lack of sleep. All studies show that uh, communities of color, they don't sleep as often for various reasons, but that's just a reality. We've had worse in terms of the T trauma and and how we think. If you're my kids, and I had them on a recent uh, podcast episode, if you're my kids, you're going to be filled with a whole lot of inspiring messages. But if you are in a 78% uh, single-family environment where the dad's not even in an environment, then the way those kids think will be different. And then, of course, when you get to the rope, the relationships, going back to the to, 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 you know what I just said, it's just not as many relationships that are stable. We maybe have more exposure to organisms as to owing a rope, because if I don't have a job like Dr. Hampton, where I can work at home, but I'm a frontline worker or I'm a, a overnight worker. I'm going to be exposed in a way that maybe the people who work at home are going to not be exposed to pee for pollutants, South side of Chicago. That's where the factories are, North side of Chicago, no factories. So 30, uh, 30 year life difference expect to see for, uh, Inglewood on the South side. Um, mm-hmm. they average, their average life is 60 years and then, mm-hmm. uh, Streeterville, on the mm. north side, the average life expectancy is ninety years. And I, it's heard really damn, I heard isn't that. I heard that crazy. Past,
0: yeah, I heard that on a previous podcast. You talked about yeah. that. I think on wow. uh, when you did the uh, low carb, and I was that my mouth was yeah. dropped wide open. I was like, you started doing zip codes, and I was like, I know all those zip codes, and I was we like, know all of it, and I was saying to myself, that is insane. <laughs>
2: It's 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 so unbelievable that you think we were making it up. Uh, I learned that from Rashard Johnson, who's the uh, just happened to be a young African American uh, president of two of our hospitals. He's probably in his forties, really doing a really good job. But we did, we're doing research, and we have a a charge to get several of the hospitals, particularly the ones that have a large Medicaid population, mm-hmm. and trying to work together to come up with a way to. Uh, support those communities. Uh, in order to do that, though, we have to look at data. And that's when we learned some of those statistics. And it just, uh, I think all of us were appalled by that. And, oh, you know, that, there's many reasons for it, but that's just mind-boggling.
0: That 30-year gap really blew my mind. I, 30 years. I, I'm still, I'm yeah, still trying to crazy. <laughs> wrap yeah. my mind around that one. That's right. So that's that's
2: it. That's the model. Just, you know, you put all those things together and you realize that people of color struggle.
1: Yeah. I I heard something, uh, Dr. Hampton, out there. I mean, we've heard many things, but one of the things that I heard on a consistent basis was that um, our lack uh, of vitamin D, and especially Mm -hmm. in more of a colder climate, um, has a, a great effect on... Our immune systems, as a whole, in general, but when we start talking about the pandemic, um, you know, it really does, um, it really does hold it holds us back from, I guess, getting over COVID faster or maybe preventing COVID. Can you talk about, um, you know, our vitamin D uh, needs and how it relates to where we are with the uh, pandemic?
2: Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing and in some ways unfair. Um, because, um, we, as people of color, we actually struggle to get enough vitamin D and, uh, and we know even in my, uh, training, we touched on that and it talked about how it really does strengthen, uh, our immune system when we have adequate vitamin D in our diet. And, and one of the problems, um, that we have is when you're a person of color, the best source of vitamin D is actually through the skin. But when you have dark skin, your body tends to protect you from the sun. Mm -hmm. Therefore, your ability to absorb the level of vitamin D that you need is less than a person with lighter skin. So the average person with white skin could probably spend 15, 20 minutes out in the sun. Today's a sunny day and and they're fine. Uh, it takes about three to four times as much exposure. And when you think about living in Chicago in the Midwest, you're probably not going to get enough sun to do the job. So for communities of color, they really need to uh, also supplement uh, with vitamin D over the counter. And I would say anywhere from 2,000 to 4,000, you could really go all the way up to 10,000
0: mm-hmm. That's
1: what uh, I heard.
2: per day. Yeah, yes. And you can do that safely. Your body will I, you know, we don't have people coming to the ER with vitamin D toxicity. You know what I mean? <laughs> that would so right. be
1: my next question. <laughs>
2: you don't, you don't, you don't get that. That's uh, not going to happen. So it's probably okay to, and they can always check levels. But in general, that's not going to happen. So, so in communities of color, you have to get the vitamin D to strengthen your immune system. However, keep in mind it's 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 critical because all a lot of the people who are dying probably up to ninety 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 eight to ninety nine percent of people who die are vitamin D deficient, right? Mm -hmm. So that's that's all you need to know. That's deep. However, but it's also it's like if you are taking adequate vitamin D, but then your asthma is out of control, or Mm -hmm. you're you're taking the vitamin D and then you're eating the starchy, sugary food right afterwards, then your diabetes is out of control or your hypertension, then you're still in bad shape. So the key is instead of just focusing on just taking supplements, which I encourage like vitamin D for sure, what we have to do is what do I need to do to become healthier, Mm -hmm. even with a diagnosis, rather I reverse it or not, I need to have it under control because it's going to be difficult with this pandemic to not be exposed at some point Uh, is highly probable. So the key is when you're exposed, are you going to be able to fight this off? And the answer is for most people, absolutely. Mm -hmm. We just got to strengthen our immune system.
1: Dr. Tony, I I wanted to ask when it comes to vitamin D, is it true or not true? Or is there some type of... um, uh, meaning to the fact that you should have an absorption with vitamin D, like vitamin K or something like that. Is that is that accurate?
2: Yeah. Well, um, yes and no. Like from the perspective of um, vitamin K, and I would say K two. Like there's a K one and a K two. So the K one is what we think about with blood thinners, and and you know you know if you eat like leafy green vegetables and things like that, you get vitamin K one. And that's why people on Coumadin or Warfarin have to be careful about taking the leafy green things because it'll give them too much K1 and then that'll make their, they'll overthin their blood in that scenario. Now, the K2 actually comes from fattier foods and and, 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 and things like animal products and, and things like that. And what K2, I, I consider if, let's just say we actually are at the ch- church and we need an escort a usher to kind of get us to our seat. The vitamin K2 is like the usher who takes us to our seat. And in this case, he takes us, or he or she takes us away from our joints and our arteries. And what we're, we're ushering the calcium actually, not the vitamin D. So vitamin D will help us absorb more calcium. But then once we get that calcium in our body, we need the usher, which is the vitamin K2 to usher us into our bones. But if we don't have the K2, what happens is the calcium may sit around in our arteries and cause plaques or sit around in our joints for arthritis and cause arthritis to be worse. So so that's where the, uh, the K, the vitamin K2 and the uh, vitamin D, and again, this is just an illustration. I'm not, you know, mm-hmm. I'm still in school, so I'm still learning, But, <laughs> but, but it's important if I'm a physician that I need to know these things so that I'm not just saying, oh yeah, I get your vitamin D and your calcium and not know anything about vitamin K2. And then all of a sudden you're helping them because you're probably still giving them enough calcium for their bones in theory. But what about their arteries and their arthritis? Right. So we have to know just enough to be dangerous, and I think what I'm trying to do—I'm <laughs> just trying to fill those gaps. I love
1: know? that analogy, by the way. Yeah,
0: I, and I agree with you. I went back to school too, so I get it. I, you know, it's so much yeah. knowledge out there. It really is. Now your too focus much. has been on diabetes, which is in a epi- oh, I mean, yeah. epidemic proportions in the black community. I mean, we—it it just really alarms me when we, when we, when we uh, actually uh, go. And uh, go down the street, and you see all these clinics, and you know our kidneys are failing, and everything else. And I, I just want you to touch on. I, now I know you specialize in that. How do you help your clients with that? How do you approach that when you're talking to Because I know a lot of people think that diabetes is just a uh, sugar. You know, you got they got high blood sugar. They got the sugar. Yeah, they That's got like to so, say. exactly. So now we got to figure out. Okay. There's got to be more to it than that. So tell us, how do you approach your clients?
2: Well, the first thing, because I like to have fun with my patients. So I so when their sugars start getting high, I say, don't be getting sweet on me now. I us <laughs> not, not do that. So, and they laugh and then we start talking about it. I think what I do is I provide hope. Uh, be, a lot of people are thinking about their family history and, you know, the aunt that had an amputation or the cousin who went blind or the family member that's uh, had multiple heart attacks or strokes and they're, they're kind of seeing their destiny in those people's, you know, through their lens. So what I do is I say, well, I, the main thing I say to them, this is a dietary disease. Now type one, you know, you may still need insulin, but even with type one where you don't make any insulin, you will reduce the need for insulin big time. So I say, this is a dietary disease for type two. And, and since most people are type two, it works really well. And then I say to them, "You don't treat a dietary disease with medicine, right? I mean, who would do that?" So what I do in that moment when they're diagnosed, rather the A1C, which is the three month test for diabetes, rather it's at a the normal is you know five point six or less, borderline is up to about six point four, and then anything at six point five or high. So if they're at six you know five, or if they're at eight point nine, it doesn't matter. I say in, in this moment, I say most doctors will tell you you need to take metformin, you need to take these mm-hmm. medicines, and, and then that's the end of the conversation. I said, you have a choice today. I am totally okay with writing a prescription for metformin or any other drug or even insulin if it's higher. But you also have an opportunity to uh, do this other thing, which is lifestyle. And if you do this diet and follow it to the extent that I recommend... I can almost guarantee you, you'll never have to take insulin. You'll never have to worry about amputations. You'll never have to worry about kidney failure. You never have to worry about blindness. And then the guys, I always mention, you'll never have to worry about ED, erectile mm-hmm. dysfunction. because they, I say, guess what? Diabetes is a huge risk factor. In fact, they have an entire uh, diagnostic category is diabetes with erectile dysfunction. It's, it's, wow. like, it's only one of like six or seven things that are associated. It's a, We actually have to put that in a chart. So I say, Mm -hmm. if you don't want me to put that in a chart ever. (laughs) And so what they do is they're given this fork in the road moment and like 98% will choose the lifestyle. And then I'll say, uh, and then I have to decide, if you talk to a Dr. Eric Westman, who I recently interviewed on my podcast, he'll say he puts everybody at 20 carbs because he is the final answer. Like when you travel all the way to where he lives at Duke, you expect results. So he can't mess around with 50 carbs. So my brain says 20 carbs is keto and uh, less than 50 carbs is uh, low carb. I generally uh, recommend a 50 because I see a lot of people getting there. Then if they struggle, I'll, you know, uh, go a little lower. And then what happens is I'll give them a handout uh, on what the foods to uh, eat are and uh, uh, Dr. Eric Westman calls it page four. I just give them about a six-page handout, and then I uh, point them to my uh, drtonyhampton.com channel, and they they see why and how adopt a low carb diet videos. I'll point them to the podcast for a little inspiration. And so what I do is I give them tools, and what I'm hoping to do moving forward is to have a weight management program in our system have a person I can refer them to for coaching. So, so what we do is we grab them by the hand, just like the uh, training wheels or something, and say, I'm going to hold you on this bike and I'm going to help you along. But what I find is that what helps people is that they get hope. Because if they've seen somebody else, they were told, you're going to be on medicines forever. If they haven't seen somebody else, they're thinking about their family and they have all this fear. Yeah. And I have just seen people just light up when you say to them, we can do this with diet. And and because it's not like a vegetarian diet, which is okay, I was a vegetarian for eight years, it's a little easier to say to somebody, you can eat your ribs, just no barbecue sauce. Right. Just a little bitty. So you have to hear what they're saying about what they're eating. And you say what? What are we willing to change between now and the next visit? And most are willing to change at least one or two things.
0: So That's, I love that. There's baby steps uh, you're taking. Baby them, steps. Yeah, incremental. Yeah, you're taking them on training wheels, which, which <laughs> I think is important because, you know, what I found and you probably found too, you just can't tell people to just change overnight. You know, so it's not
2: realistic, and they may be. They may have an addiction, like Joan Iffland would say. They may have a processed food or sugar addiction. So you can't tell an alcoholic. Just don't don't drink. I mean, <laughs> right. it's not that simple.
0: <laughs> exactly, because the sugar the sugar dragon is real. <laughs> it's real. <laughs> you know? So so um, so. Why do you think we have such a big? Uh, it's such we we're so difficult with us for obesity because obesity is really at the heart, I think, of most of this.
2: Yeah, it is.
0: And I uh, think. Go ahead.
2: Yeah. Well, I just think it's it's the uh, messaging has been wrong, and we we take our fingers and we point at people. And if you think about it, when was the last time uh, you went to a gym and you didn't see an overweight person on a treadmill? You see overweight people on a treadmill all the time.
0: True. So yeah.
2: you can't say that they don't care and that they're not working hard enough. If anything, I mean, I have. People that I know personally, and I'll see them on Facebook running marathons and they're still obese.
1: Yeah, I've seen that (laughs) (laughs) too. Yeah, we see that too. (laughs)
2: You're like, you look at it in your brain, even (laughs) as an obesity doc, my brain still can't understand that. Yeah. Because a marathon is serious business. But what I found is that, and I learned this in my obesity training, you can't out exercise a bad diet, right? So, so I think what is wrong as the information they were given. I and mean, she talked to, if you just grab a hundred people and say, so uh, you plan on work and your new year's resolution is to work on your weight, right? And what do people say? They they usually say gym before they even say diet. Absolutely. So most people, you know what I mean? Absolutely. So they think that that's going and to, that's, and that's like of that nest and rope stuff I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. that's the least important thing. It's, they do. It's just, uh, you know. It's they weight do. loss maintenance is what exercise stuff does. Yeah. So so I think part of the problem is they don't get the right information and they do that calories in, calories, calories out. out. Yep. They get frustrated. And then the more you gain and lose and gain and lose, yes. the more you're actually going up a notch every time and your your metabolic rate and everything gets more dysfunctional and Absolutely. it gets harder and harder to... So I think it's the information and then the lack of coaching. Correct. I think they need coaching and we need to have a society where every clinician... Has the ability to, you know, it should be covered by insurance and everybody should be allowed to have a coach rather yes. than talking about their relationship or their health. Yes. And then that way people will have, especially if it's an addiction, if you have a food addiction, this is a lifetime issue. Yes,
0: yes. So yes. you need
2: coaching for the rest of your life to overcome the addiction. So that's why I think people have struggled. And then communities of color, I some of my neighbors in the neighborhood I uh, lived in, um, uh, the kids didn't walk around with, you know, potato chips and some like colored, you know, juice, right? Mm-hmm. They, they walked around with, you know, like celery and carrots. So, because <laughs> it was a different kind of neighborhood, right, right? right? It wasn't an African-American. But so what happens is, they they The people of color start off early on with the addictive foods yes. and it just kind of builds yes. and builds and we yes. show love through yes. our food. And here, here honey, yes. I just made your favorite cake yes. or pie. And we yes. have these cultures so true. and it, we keep a cape on the counter. Yes. If you don't have a cake on the counter, a candy I'm jar. Wrong.
0: Yes, <laughs> right? we, it is a challenge. Trust me, we know that's one, of, that's one of the reasons why we started Brown Women Wellness. Uh, let me ask you a question. What does your diet consist of?
2: It's very simple. In fact, uh, most days uh, I don't eat breakfast, so I'm a big intermittent fasting guy. Yes. So I usually eat between twelve and eight. I just think that's the that's you know easily one of the most transformational things you can do is learn how to intermittently fast. It's not for everybody, but for me, being busy. Oh mm-hmm. my god! If I don't, have, and then you know, like Thursday, I didn't have my first meal to five because I'm thinner. Mm-hmm. I have to eat those two meals, so I ate at five and then I ate at eight. But, um, but I'm gonna tell you some, um, I, you know, most days, if I'm working from home, I may have the eggs and the bacon and the sausage, and I may have some cauliflower tater tots or some cauliflower rice with it if I'm gonna eat something with it. Mm-hmm. Today, I actually, because of the uh, gala, I actually had leftover um, uh, pork chops that were baked in the oven, and I ate that with some eggs. So I ate two pork chops. Uh, with some eggs. Some days I'll take a a half, two pounds of beef. It's like, it's like I know I sound like a carnivore. I'll take two pounds of beef <laughs> and uh, well, I, yeah. I'm pretty much almost there to the where well, it's going. Well, you know, and, there are
0: some carnivores who say carnivore is the way to go. I, we could talk about that on a whole nother podcast. Oh my God, <laughs> yeah. And, and
2: I, I only say for those listening, uh, if you try it, I have no problem with you trying it because every carnivore I know is doing really well. So it's I know. Just my,
0: they are healthy. Yeah, so and, trust and, me. And it's yeah. on the opposite end of vegan. So, you know, we... It's
2: the opposite. <laughs> so... it, it's, it's, it's all crazy, but... But when I have my grant, so I'll do a, ha, a, a half a like a pound of ground beef, which sounds like a lot, but it's really not a pound of ground beef. I'll just take the other half for the next day, and then I'll have some eggs or something with that. And then, but I always I tend to because I'm not a carnivore, I tend to have one or two vegetables yeah. with my animal. Don't you feel at guilty? Night.
0: Don't you feel guilty if you don't have veggies? <laughs> I'm still yeah.
2: I had the black carnivore uh, a day. Uh, who uh A Day Fox, it's spelled E D A. And 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 they have really encouraged me to at least be open to it. So I do feel a little guilty, especially when you're studying nutrition and all your professors are like obsessed with vegetables,
0: right? right. <laughs> but but I'm not
2: afraid. Okay. I'm not afraid anymore. So because I and I listen to my body, my body says, I like when you eat meat mm-hmm, without mm-hmm. the starch and the sugar. So
0: mm-hmm. so I
2: actually I listen to my body, and I feel better because when I finish talking during the podcast, I got to go study. I, I if I had gone to Subway, gotten a sandwich—that's bread—gotten some chips. As, you oh, know, you'd, be sleeping. Sleeping. Oh, you'd Some, be sleep- So I'd be knocked out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd be sleeping until <laughs> the gala sure. and would have studied. Yeah. So I need that mental clarity. And and fat fuel is always the better fuel for your uh, brain.
0: Absolutely. Your brain is about, yeah,
2: you need 60, 60, 70%. It's about 60 to 70% of your brain is fat. So yep. your brain is like, I like fat. So yeah. So that's how I see all of that. It's, uh, it's uh, and dinner again is animal to non-starchy sides, no flour, no cornmeal, and no barbecue sauce and stuff like that. Do you animal 2 non-starchy sides? That's it.
1: Do you still indulge in dairy?
2: Yeah, I uh, not not like milk. Uh, and what I've learned in um, in my training is that a lot of people can tolerate. Like this is a stat that's mind-blowing. Seventy-five percent of African Americans. Are lactose that you know are lactose intolerant,
0: seventy
2: five percent, and mm-hmm. and most of us stop making lactase to break down lactose mm-hmm. when we're uh, somewhere about six to seven years of age. So we really should be uh, drinking milk per se. However, what they found is that there's a tolerance we can take. So if you don't have too much of it, uh, I can't remember the exact amount. Maybe 16 grams or so. I can't translate that for you. But if you take a small amount of milk, your body tolerates it fine. But then when you go over a certain amount, it just causes a lot of issues. So, so what I tend to do is I'll have coconut milk or you know almond milk and things like mm-hmm. that if I'm looking for that. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the yogurts they tend to have less of the uh, lactose, so you can tolerate that. All the hard cheeses, in particular. Are much better when it comes to lack, uh, lactose and but cheeses in general you get rid during the fermentation process you get rid of a lot of the lactose so so you can definitely do uh, dairy uh, and, and those uh, like heavy you know some of the uh, creams and stuff you can tolerate so I think the key is to understand which ones bother you and stay away now for people if you talk to the black carnivore she would say, her allergies may flare up with dairy in general. So she's trying to push, you know, so you have to, and everybody's different. And that's the beauty of this. There Mm -hmm. are some vegetarians listening Mm -hmm. and they're like, well, I feel great. Well, if you feel great and you're a vegetarian, you should probably just stick with that because Mm -hmm. our genetic genome is going to be different. I just know for most people, uh, particularly in communities of color, they need to avoid starch sugar and mm-hmm. a lot of grains, and they need to cut yep. back on dairy. And so Absolutely. I think that you have to listen to your body. And for me, I I generally don't drink milk, but I will have these other things like cheeses and things like that periodically.
0: There are so many things I could talk to you about, Dr. Hampton. So many so things. We, <laughs> we, we're going to have to bring you back, and you'll probably be a frequent guest as we grow because there's so many that. things that... We need our audience to know about, you know, nutrition, uh, the right way to eat, um, you know, doing swaps, all that kind of stuff. We're big on swaps at Brown Women Wellness, you know, swapping out, you know, the starches for something else, you know, we actually have a whole download on that. So we're going to try to wrap it up here, but I have one last question. Uh, We just want to know if you had one thing, if you could think of one thing our audience could change to improve their health immediately, what would that be?
2: Yeah, it's a great question because all of the nest and rope uh, concepts are important. Uh, I'll just go with what happened this morning. So I normally go to bed at 9.30 and wake up at 4.30. And it's early because I can accomplish quite a bit when everybody else is sleeping. So I get my seven hours in. However, uh, today I d- decided to extend my sleep a little bit because even though I felt like I was okay to wake up, and, and honestly, I can feel the difference. So I would actually suggest to people to make sleep a priority uh, because it is, you know, I have people coming to see me with bags in their eyes and they're like, Doc, I need you to help me with the bags in my eyes. And then I say, well, how much sleep are you getting? Four hours. And then I'm like, well, there's no medicine there, you know, I can give you something to lighten your skin, but what you really need <laughs> to do is work on your sleep, you know? <laughs> right. uh, all the studies around sleep at University of Chicago, University of Wisconsin, Stanford, et cetera, they all show that when you uh, get four or five hours of sleep, you become borderline diabetic within a week. And when mm-hmm. you get like seven to wow. eight hours, it goes away within a week. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's an issue with diabetes. It's an issue with obesity, mm-hmm. metabolic syndrome, which covers mm-hmm. a, a multitude of issues, yes. dementia. Yes. When you sleep, you remove those amyloid plaques while you're sleeping. If you don't get enough sleep, the plaques just hang around and build up. So so I think sleep, I, people need to understand these are basic concepts, mm-hmm. but It's just like I had mentioned uh, when I interviewed Dr. Eric Westman, I mentioned Tim Duncan and they call him the, you know, the fundamental, right? Mm -hmm. We need to get back to the fundamentals of being healthy. I need to eat better, exercise, get enough sleep, reduce stress. If we do those things, everything else falls into place. But sleep is critically important and people neglect that all the time.
0: Absolutely. And you know, I'm so excited because again, we follow some of the same people. I hear all these doctors that you're referring to are some of the same doctors that I follow. So we are definitely yeah. gonna have to have you back so we can talk about more. We're gonna wrap this up. Uh we have
1: enjoyed you and so much. I Dr. Keep- Hampton, uh, where can everyone find you? Like on yes. socials, your website, how can they get in touch with you?
2: Yeah, I think the best place and in- and when you load my website, it's a little slow because we're going to change the images so that they're not so uh, not so web-friendly, and we'll change that. But when you go to drtonyhampton.com with the doctor spelled out, that's going to be the one-stop shop. And you'll have a link to the podcast, of course, to Protecting Your Nest podcast. Also, I'm partnering with the diet doctor. I'm one of their low-carb experts, so there will be a recipe link. In that link, you're going to start seeing articles every month. And you're also going to see uh, meal plans and things like that. I, I do have a link to Diet Doctor under Diet Doctor at the top as well for current like meal plans and food lists to get you started. But anticipate that'll continue to grow. And of course, the videos are on the website as well.
1: Well, all right. I uh, know. This was a great interview. Thank you so much for coming on our podcast.
2: Well, I love what you guys are doing. And we all are going to, we're all part of the big, you know, puzzle. And I think if we all make a difference, there's somebody's going to listen to this, make a change and their lives will change. And yeah. we're all kind of working together to do that. So please continue to do your work. And I will absolutely be happy to join you guys again.
0: By the way, I have an appointment with you December 4th. I can't wait to see you. <laughs> Watch yourself. I mean,
2: I can't wait to give you a hard time. It's going to be fun.
0: <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thank you again.
2: All right. Thank you. you. take care.
0: All right. Feeling stressed? Need to calm your anxiety naturally? Be Well CBD Tea can do just that. Hand-picked organic herbs infused with CBD will relax you and calm those nerves. Go to brownwomenwellness.com and get your 15% off. Use this code
1: Honest 15 So my honesty moment this week, um, you know... I go back and forth with how I want to do things as far as my eating habits. I'm the type that will try a whole bunch of different things. My mind will change. My mood will go and falter. All that good stuff that we all do, right? So I told myself that for the month of November, I was going to give up um, alcohol and meat. And one of the main reasons for that was just because I had just come off a detox. I wanted to keep the party going. However... I My honesty moment for me is grace. Grace within what it is that you feel like you want to do, giving yourself that leeway to just ease into changes. Uh, I did not successfully complete that (laughs) giving up meat and alcohol because I had a glass of wine last night after uh, some sudden changes happened that I had to adjust to. My de-stressor was a glass of red wine and I was at Andretta's house. She cooked lamb. It's my weakness and I had it. So um, honestly speaking, give yourself grace. Stop holding yourself to all of these rigid, I'm not going to do these things. And, you know, if if that's the way it goes, great. But if it doesn't, let's not beat ourselves up. Um,
0: I kind of struggled a little bit this week uh, with trying to figure out what I want to eat because I change up. Now, I keep whole foods all the time, but we're not perfect here. So, you know, we're about progression, but uh, I kind of struggled with what I wanted to eat this week. And uh, I decided to focus on soups because it was kind of warm. So, I'm sorry, cold. And uh, I decided to make uh, chicken broth soup uh, from every different direction. I, I tried so many different recipes on chicken uh, soup. So, I am loving chicken soup, and my honesty moment is I'm trying different versions of it, and it actually has helped me a lot. I um, don't have to figure out what to eat. I just kind of make a big, big, big batch of it and eat on it all week, and...
1: That's you what, legit make it every week I do make it every week <laughs> every single week she's making a, a the same version and maybe tweaking it a couple I'll different ways I'll tweak it
0: but uh, I, I'm loving it and that's my honesty moment
1: uh, for this week alright thank you for listening to Well Honestly the podcast if you want to know more about us and our products check us out over on our website at brownwomenwellness.com. And remember, ladies, we are not doctors, and any information shared by us is not medical advice. Always follow your doctor's advice. And don't forget to rate and review our podcast
0: and let us know what you loved about this week's episode. And please subscribe to wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Feel free to email us and let us know what you would like to hear more
1: of from us. Don't be afraid to say hi. We'll say hi right back to you. Don't forget to find us across all social platforms at Brown Women Wellness. As always, show notes with links to what we talked about today in this week's episode will be in the description box below.